Hi everybody, I'm George Heffler, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest at least, and today's guest is Craig Hacker. How's it going, Craig? It's going great. It's going well. Craig is one of my really good buddies from college, and he actually works in the movie industry as well, so I'm sure he'll have a lot of great insights here. I know that you've worked with M. Night Shyamalan a lot, uh, and he certainly is a horror icon at this point. Is horror your favorite genre, or is that just happy coincidence? Uh, I would say that horror is definitely one of my favorite genres, if not one of the most influential genres on me, mm -hmm. and one of the reasons probably why I got into the film industry. I, I think my favorite movies aren't horror movies, but as a whole... Horror movies are my favorite movies. Right, that makes sure, sense. yeah, yeah. There are, there are standouts from other genres, sure. but I see, that's cool. So you said that horror has had a big influence on you. Did you get into horror as a kid, or is this something you kind of came to later? Yeah, definitely as a kid. I guess growing up, it's kind of funny. I was, even now, I still haven't seen a lot of Disney movies. Mm. I've never <laughs> seen, this is, I've never seen The Lion King all the oh way through. Um, so I was raised very much in a house... Where we didn't watch those types of movies, it was like my dad, like, as soon as he was like, they're ready for it, let's start watching, <laughs> let's start watching the good stuff. Yeah, And this awesome. was at, like, age, like, six, seven. Yeah. Like, I started watching horror, and, um, you know, the only channel I would watch growing up was really the sci-fi channel. Mm -hmm. Just... Sure, I'm sure that was chock full of them. Oh, yeah, so I grew up watching all of the those schlocky, <laughs> terrible sci-fi horror movies yeah. and science fiction films. That's awesome. So, yeah. I uh, I think that my dad probably wishes that that was the case in our household. Um, not only was I a little cowardly boy, <laughs> but uh, also I had to get three different copies of The Lion King on VHS because I wore it out in different spots from watching it so often. So I think that uh, he would have preferred horror stuff than, uh, than Lion King. Yeah. Is that your favorite kind then, just because of a nostalgia? Is that kind of like schlocky B movie horror, or do you do you like paranormal stuff? Like, what's your what's your favorite style of horror? Well, I guess my favorite style of horror is it's kind of odd, but I really love one room and one location mm. horror films. Bottle horror. But yeah, but is that what it's called? That's what I'm calling it right yeah, now. I love that name. That's a great <laughs> name. Things that are really contained. I don't like necessarily like large scale horror sure. movies. I like the smaller closer, more intimate horror movies. Sure, no, that, that makes, makes total sense. sense. Um, really get to know the people that are, yeah. what they're going through. I guess you could, you could call it character-driven, mm -hmm. but in the sense that, like, the characters are just reacting to the things that are happening right. around them versus they're like, we need to go do this thing now, <laughs> right. you know, we need to run away and keep running and hiding and we're being chased. So stuff like uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, probably right up your alley. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a great one, and if you haven't seen it out there, you should watch it, but... It's very much contained into one small area, and it's the relationships between people that that's where the horror comes from, uh, and the confinement. That is sort of the case with the movie that we're watching today. We're talking about 1987's The Evil Dead 2, directed by Sam Raimi, uh, starring the one and only Bruce Campbell, American hero. And I think that it's it was really interesting to me that you picked this movie, Craig, because I know that this franchise... Each movie has its own really vigorous defenders, and they some people like the first one a lot more because it's a little more subtle in its humor, even though the humor is still there. The, and, the humor in the first one really comes just from the... It's like they weren't trying to be funny, but mm -hmm. things end up being funny, and right. I think they kind of, in post, 
made things. Yeah, they realized what happened. Newer, but they weren't going for that. That wasn't right. the goal. Yeah, and then the third one, Army of Darkness, Army of Darkness is very much, it, at some point it's, I don't want to say that it's barely a horror movie, but it, there's a lot more like action fantasy in it yes. uh, than it, yes, either of the first It's two. a lot more of a of an action horror, mm -hmm. with, or sorry, of an action comedy with horror elements. Yes, to uh, I would totally agree with that. And then right here in the middle, we have The Evil Dead 2, which kind of strikes a nice balance. There's definitely some humor in it that was very much intended, but there are some moments in it that I think are genuinely creepy. It's some yeah. are even frightening. And it's got, you know, an incredible pedigree. I mean, Sam Raimi has done a lot of horror stuff in his life, but Greg Nicotero did uh, a lot of the effects and stuff on it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Greg Nicotero is pretty much the second name in special effects for horror right after Tom Savini, yeah. and he actually studied under Tom Savini. So At the school in Pittsburgh? Yeah, and uh, they work together on a lot of the Romero zombie stuff. He is He does a lot of work for The Walking Dead as well. So it's clear that there's a lot of skill behind this movie, even though it was a relatively low budget. Yeah, that was actually one of the things that when I rewatched it, you know, I didn't remember a lot of the little things, but just mm -hmm. the sheer amount of prosthetics oh, and, make, and just the craftsmanship of this movie is incredible. The amount of, I mean, latex costumes mm -hmm. that they had to make for this yeah. film are insane. Yeah, there's a lot of latex costumes. There's a lot of gelatin casts that are made for, like, the hands and eyeballs mm -hmm. and stuff. There's a lot of blood they used. A ton of blood. Oh, it's <laughs> fire. I, I think I have a note here that literally says a... Uh, fire hose of blood yeah yeah that uh yeah when they're in the cellar <laughs> it shoots out so i listened to the commentary today on the uh of the movie and they were saying that for the scene where the blood comes out of the walls mm -hmm. they use eight 55 gallon drums of blood <laughs> <laughs> which is that's a lot of blood and uh, it. it's it's crazy because in addition to using all that blood the way they didn't film it necessarily directly in order so when you hear them saying that they filmed the shots after it, before it, and they had to just kind of like be like, I guess this is how he'll look after all this blood is on him. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something that's definitely, you notice a lot in this movie, is from shot to shot, mm -hmm. the amount of blood Annie at one point gets just, I mean, hit with the fire hose <laughs> from the basement. And then in the next sequence, completely she just, she just clean. She has this one splash of blood on yeah, her shoulder. Uh, like hair is still like in <laughs> the script supervisor's nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, so let's uh, let's start talking about this movie a little bit. It opens up with sort of a recap of the first Evil Dead, despite not so. All right, so they couldn't get the scenes from New Line Cinema. From the first one. So they said, we're just going to reshoot those the recap that we want to do. This kind of throws a lot of people because some people are like, oh, it's a remake, not a sequel. Um, which is, it's not the case. It's it is, a requel. It's, yes, exactly. They, they take part of this. I think that it's like 11 minutes long, this recap. So it's, it's not an insignificant portion of the movie. But it's it moves so far beyond what happened at the end of the first one that... It would be insane to say that this is. There's no way that this is a sequel, especially at the very end in the credits. You stay past it, and it says uh, "Evil Dead 2: The Sequel to uh, the The ult Ultimate Experience in Grueling Terror." There I you have go. that written down so. right here in my notes because I saw that too. Yep, and I was like, "That 
is interesting. Yeah, put it to bed. The yeah. argument is over. It is, in fact, a sequel. <laughs> so, haters, back off. <laughs> but in this recap, Ash Williams, played by Bruce Campbell, he and his girlfriend Linda are in an abandoned cabin in the woods. It's a great start. You know, the cabin in the woods has become such an iconic setting, and I think that a lot of that has to do with oh, absolutely. the Evil Dead. Absolutely. And... While they're in the cabin, he plays a tape that has the previous inhabitant's voice on it, who was a professor. He talks about how he read from the Book of the Dead, a.k.a. the Necronomicon, which is a horror icon in and of itself. Yes. This book is, if you're looking at horror... Written by the Mad Arab. Yes. (laughs) If we're going by uh, Eldritch mythology. That's right, that's right. And so while the professor is talking about this... It unfortunately causes the demon to possess Linda, and she gets killed, basically, because the only way that Ash can survive himself is to decapitate her. <laughs> with, with, with a shovel that's just laying outside. And let me, I just want to point out, this is five minutes and 12 seconds into yeah. the movie when she gets pulled out the window. And at least two minutes of this movie is the exposition about the Book of the Dead. So we are three minutes into the actual plot of this film, and we are just full force into it. That's one of the things I love about this movie, is it just goes. Yeah, it doesn't waste any time. They really, they know what you're there for, Mm -hmm. uh, and it seems to me like part of the idea of this recap is they're like, we want to skip as much exposition as possible and really just get you into it, so we'll throw this little bit right up top, and then you can just enjoy the rest of the movie. After Ash kills Linda. <laughs> well, the ex-Linda. <laughs> he tries to drive away, obviously. is his. Well, first he buries her in a very shallow grave and takes the time to make a cross. Yeah. Like it, a driftwood cross. It's it's a pretty impressive cross, too. It's and huge. She has a nice little grave overlooking yeah, the, yeah, overlooking it, it, the cabin. <laughs> so, he goes to get out of there and he starts driving away and there's some... Um, Really awesome miniature work. Well, I, I yeah, I wanted to say that uh, when they're driving in after the opening shot, which I'm pretty sure is an homage to The Shining, mm. uh, that like back car shot coming through the uh, the tunnel. Yeah. But yeah, they cross over the model bridge, and it's the first time in this movie that you see like the use of miniatures, which mm. I didn't realize. You know, when I saw this movie, you know, I've seen this movie dozens of times probably, but a lot when I was younger, this used to be one of my favorite movies, mm. and probably the first R-rated movie I ever saw. It's actually not R-rated. It, really? It's not rated, because oh. there was so much blood in it and everything, and uh, they were actually trying to avoid getting an X rating mm. by using, like, green blood and yeah. black blood. Yeah. And, uh, and no real nudity in this one, either. Yeah, and no real nudity. Um, certainly the graphic tree rape of the first one yes. is not in this one yes. and uh, still they couldn't get away with it so they it got an X rating from the MPAA and they said fuck it and just went with no rating at all but but I well, take your point then this certainly. is the first unrated <laughs> movie I've ever, I ever saw <laughs> yeah and there's, there's a really awesome miniature with uh, this bridge crossing the gap and it really lets you get a sense of the isolation mm. that they're going to be facing there's this huge chasm that the bridge crosses, and... I just want to say, I think it's great that whoever, like, the, the township that they live in was like, well, there's this one small cabin out there. We need to build them a massive yeah. bridge. That was a, you know, several hundred thousand dollar yeah, public, a, work, that's public a, works project. A good use of taxpayer funds. <laughs> Although, 
that, that's maybe it was part of the New Deal, and they were just like, "All right, we just gotta just we need something for these guys to do. Let's just get them into the woods, exactly, and just get them building stuff." <laughs> right. Thanks, FDR. Uh, we're building a bridge to one cabin, everybody. <laughs> Jobs. <laughs> and so you get this great miniature shot going in, and then on the way out, he drives back up to it, and now this bridge that these poor New Deal guys worked so hard on is just devastated like i don't even know what happened to yeah it. it's curled backwards like mm -hmm. a, like the steel girders have formed to this like hand yeah it's it's really intimidating in a way yeah. it's and it's it's great work it looks awesome and it really kind of sets the tone in a way that i think is really impressive yeah even more than like the 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 killing of linda yes yeah. it really this lets you know that there's no getting away from this, and they they have to deal with it head on. Yeah. This is kind of like the beginning of the film, story-wise, but I think we need to talk about Ash as a character. Sure. Because Ash is such a bizarre character. Because usually, you know, you expect the hero to be kind of heroic. Like, Ash is kind of like a self-serving bitch, oh, almost. absolutely. I mean, I really I wrote down really bizarre scene where he's playing the piano in the beginning. I yeah. don't think I noticed that before because you never see his hands <laughs> playing the piano. He's just kind of moving mm -hmm. while there's music playing. And just the way he calls his girlfriend kid. Yeah, he's it's like, weird. Well, I wish I had that level of confidence. <laughs> that like, it, just the way that he says it, mm -hmm. I'm just like, yeah. It's When he says it, it's cool. If I tried that with anyone, they'd be like, please don't ever do that again. <laughs> um, but But it works for him. And that's the thing is that he is, he's sort of like cowardly yeah. in a way, but he's, he's forced to deal with these yeah. things. And and so this kind of reluctant hero that he has to become is is really interesting because... He's also kind of the villain of the film, too, because he, does like, cause the... he takes his girlfriend to this abandoned mountain cabin that he doesn't own. The plot, they're breaking into this cabin. Yeah, she's like, what if they come back? And he's like, yeah, they won't. We'll tell them they the car, do. We'll tell them the car broke down. <laughs> and we moved in? Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's it's bizarre, but, but you know what? Somehow... Bruce Campbell makes it work. He really does. He's just such a charismatic man that I'm like, yeah, all it's right, true. we're breaking into this cabin. Yeah, he uh, he's got charm oozing from every pore, almost as much charm as there is blood on him <laughs> at the end of the movie. But uh, it's it's you're right. It, it really is interesting that this is kind of the character that we're forced to identify with yeah. and be like, well, would I in the same situation act the same way? Would I be a little bit cowardly because this, if in real life, if yeah. this was happening, you'd be like, I'm shitting my pants constantly. There's so much scary stuff happening. Yeah, at the beginning of this this movie, he really is like the reluctant. He, I don't want to say hero. He's kind of he doesn't become a hero more till later, mm -hmm. till like halfway through the movie. Yeah, but he he's more authentic. I mm -hmm. think like he's just sort of like a guy who's like, oh god, I've got myself in this situation. Yeah, and now I need to run and abandon my dead girlfriend. Yeah, his entire goal is just to leave. Yeah. That's all he wants to do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I get it, honestly. <laughs> so he, he gets to this bridge that has curled back, and he's uh, pissed, I would say, <laughs> obviously, because why wouldn't you be? <laughs> and finally, he shows up to this bridge, and he gets chased back by a demon. We don't, we don't see the demon, but we get the iconic... 
Ray- Evil Dead. Raimi Cam. Yes, exactly. The Raimi Cam and uh, the plywood. The plywood with a with like a a camera bracket. Yeah. screwed into it. That's exactly what he was saying. He was saying that he literally took like a springboard mm-hmm. and and put the camera on it and just attached that to his motorcycle <laughs> and just drove at him. <laughs> just drove at him. Um, a lot of people think that uh, he actually ran into. Bruce Campbell and broke his jaw. I have heard conflicting reports that some people say that they made that up as a gag just to see how many people they could get to believe it. But it's it's really it's such a unique thing that Sam Raimi does with the camera, and it's not just in this one scene. This is maybe one of the most active cameras yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, it's chase. I mean, the camera is literally smashing through things. Yeah, it's. Bashing through, and we were seeing every like the, the break through the window from the from the eye perspective of the camera. Yeah, you know, it's not a shot; it is first person. It's a character. Yeah, it is a character. We are seeing through the character's eyes. Mm-hmm. You get these these crazy pursuits. At one point, there's like a Dutch angle that's like seventy degrees. <laughs> it's it's really intense, and all of this camera work. It's not just so that it's something for him to do. It all really adds to the movie. Like yeah. this, this Dutch angle is at a moment when Ash himself is most off kilter, yes. and you know these these pursuits are the spirit chasing him, and so it's really remarkable that Sam Raimi is able to turn the camera into a character in this way. In my opinion, can, do you can you think of anyone else who does even anything close to this? Michael Bay, maybe yeah, Michael just the, the, like the snap zooms and everything, <laughs> maybe. But uh, but you know, shout out to Sam Raimi for sure for this really uh, unique and awesome perspective that he Sam. We, we know you're listening to this, so we just want to say thanks. You're, yeah, you're good really job, great. Sam. Good work. <laughs> so Ash gets chased back into the wood, but he gets possessed by this yeah. by this uh, spirit that's chasing him, and he gets thrown through the trees. In a sequence that not only does it take place over basically the course of a day, because it's the morning when he gets thrown, and it's night when he gets back to the cabin. Yeah, he is being thrown for like 20 hours. Yeah, but it also uh, apparently took a full day to shoot. I believe it. And uh, was one of the last things that they uh, that they shot. And it's it's crazy, though, because... He's getting not just flung through the air. He's getting spun around, and yeah. there's branches smacking him. And you know, Bruce is really uh, taking a beating. Here. Yeah, I wrote a note here that says this movie beats the fuck out of Bruce Campbell. I also wrote a note that says poor Ash gets beat up so bad. <laughs> so you... he's just bashing his head yeah. into tree. In like the first fifteen minutes of the movie, he just has to smash his head into trees. He's face down in a dirty puddle. He's face down in a dirty puddle at like, one point. For like 30 seconds. Yeah. But I could tell you how they made that. They dug a hole <laughs> and then filled it with dirty water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's remarkable. And and it's not just this one scene either. Uh, we didn't mention it before, but when he's fighting Linda, she pulls his head against, uh, against the boards of the window yeah, and yeah, just yeah. smashes his head. Um, he really, he takes a beating and... A, not all of it was Bruce Campbell. Um, like when he falls down the stairs, he said that he did have the stunt uh, stunt coordinator, you know, take care of that. A but, fake shimp, right? But uh, but he does do a lot. He, yeah, he really got beat up a lot, and and Sam Raimi and him had this great relationship that 
they like to have fun with each other and and give each other grief in a way that oh, makes yeah. the movie better. I think. Yeah, that's well. That's one of the things I think that's so great about this movie is that in the genre of B horror, uh, I think you you forgive a lot of things mm-hmm. because you really see you know you think it's a labor of love. These people are doing it because they love the genre. They yeah. if they could get the money, they would do more. And I think this is one of the few examples where truly. They did it because they love it, and then they got the money, and they're like, let's do more. Yeah. And I, I saw an interesting note that they filmed the movie three hours away from the studio that was financing it. Oh, because really? Because they didn't want their head producer there. Because <laughs> they didn't want an outside force sure. coming in and being like, well, guys, that doesn't really... Uh, right. We shouldn't do this. This doesn't look good. You know, this is filmmaking for the love of it. And yeah. I think that's the dream. You know, that's... That's one of the things when I was getting into filmmaking and wanting to go to film school, like this movie was one of the movies for me that was like, yes, this is how it should be. This is what it's for. This is the dream. Yeah, it it really is. I I totally get that. And I think that it comes across on screen too, that that passion for it Mm -hmm. is really communicated because it feels like everyone wants to be there and it's not just a paycheck for them. Yeah, and it's the other thing too is with Bruce, Bruce Campbell clearly wants to be there. He wants to do it. Because I've worked with a lot of actors, and a lot of actors won't even... If, if their face isn't in the shot, mm-hmm. it's not them. Right. You know, if it's hands, it's not them. Yeah. And stunts, no, God no. Most of them will not even go near a fall. Right. And here's Bruce Campbell just smashing <laughs> his face into everything, falling down, just going crazy with just hurting himself for the love of it. He's, he's hurting himself, and he's also... A lot of it required a lot of really intense rehearsal as well, because to continue, he when he's face down in this puddle after getting possessed by this uh, this demon, he lifts up his head and you see that he's been transformed into uh, evil ash, and he has these white contacts in mm-hmm. that made it so that they literally cannot see. Yeah, and this is not the only time that these contacts come up. In fact, they come up a lot, and. People can't see through them. And so in order to make sure that the scene goes off the way you need it to go, you have to rehearse. And so he was talking about the, that this wasn't something that they could fake. They had to really practice and practice and practice so that the shot would go okay. Because, like you said, this is a small-budget feature. They don't have the money to waste on on uh, take after take after take. Yeah, and this is on film, and film is... It's expensive. It's, expensive. <laughs> it's really expensive. There's a reason that a lot of movies don't shoot on film anymore. Yeah. It's because it's really expensive. For sure. And so he, he lifts his head up, he is, he's evil Ash, it's really awesome uh, makeup work, and luckily for him, this is when the sun is rising, and so the sun and daylight kind of forces the demon out of him, and he's able to get back into the cabin. And once he gets back there, uh, poor Linda in her little shallow grave. <laughs> this is why you don't dig shallow graves. Yeah. Six feet. There's a reason graves are six feet. Yeah. For this purpose. Yeah, and uh, and she she rises out of the dirt and does a really <laughs> awesome dance. Yeah, and, like a full ballet routine. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's done with miniatures, and uh, Sam Raimi said that he actually enlisted his high school drama teacher to do the dance, and she literally... Uh, like filmed herself doing the entire dance and then they sent that to the miniature artist and he animated it exactly as as this high school drama teacher (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, planned it out and it works really incredibly it's 
very creepy in in seeing this kind of stop motion herky jerky movement it feels like it works with the dance because she's dead yeah. it, it feels like this is kind of a mockery yeah. of this beautiful ballet dance of life yeah exactly after she does this dance she attacks him yep and the, the head comes off and is attacking him attacking <laughs> him by itself he is trying to fight off his head but it 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 falls into his lap and it's literally just fucking with him oh yeah <laughs> I, I i did note that uh linda at the beginning the actress that plays linda was fine she's whatever <laughs> but like as a demon yeah it's 10 times better as a demon than she is as a person yeah for sure and uh, and she's she's fucking with him so hard and she falls into his lap and just goes hello lover <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny and she she bites onto his onto his hand yeah in a bit of foreshadowing and ashes smashing this head, <laughs> severed head against every wall and uh, he stumbles out of the out of the cabin and he says oh work shed well he doesn't say it it's it's <laughs> it's, it's, probably, in, it's yeah. probably one of the most famous examples of like just dubbing with the character's mouth and not moving. Yeah. Just, they're like, maybe... I, I don't even know why they did it. Like, I don't think we need to say work shed. Yeah, he could have just gone to the work shed. And <laughs> he could have like, ran I, outside okay, I get and it. seen a work shed. <laughs> and, like, maybe there's something in there yeah. I can use. But whatever. Uh, but uh, It's magical. It, it sure is. And and Bruce has a good sense of humor about it. In, uh, in the commentary, he talks about how uh, the first time that he met Kurt Russell, literally the first thing that Kurt Russell said to him was, say work shed. <laughs> and, uh, and so he runs out there and he sticks the head inside of a vice, vice clamp, clamp and <laughs> he just goes to town on this thing with well, the chainsaw. Well, no, the, her disembodied oh, head right. comes in first. And he has to fight it with a chainsaw. The chainsaw yeah. that she comes in with. Yeah, oh, that's right. She comes in with it because it's missing. And I love mm. that when he pulls the curtain back, for some reason the chainsaw is in a, behind a curtain. Yeah. And there is a chalk outline of yeah. a chainsaw there. As if he's like, this is where this tool goes. <laughs> yeah, it looks like uh, in the Hitman series uh, of video <laughs> games. Like, he has like a, a shed where all his weapons are in, in the second one, and... It, it literally looks like that, where yes. it's like, all right, this is my weapon area, and uh, it's it, we need to communicate to people that this is where it goes. And I guess it's necessary, because if he had just opened it and there was just, like, two pegs there, I don't yeah. know that I would have been like, oh, of course, a chainsaw goes there. I think it's just a great piece of comedic foreshadowing, yeah. where it almost reminded me of, like, a Naked Gun-esque joke, where sure. it's like, you see something... And you're like, oh, I know what's about to happen. And then immediately it happens. Yeah. It's just so absurd. Mm hmm. But it's phenomenal. He manages to fend her off a little bit as she comes in with this chainsaw. And it he he gets a hold of it and stabs her. She yeah. bends backwards and it goes through her own neck. That's and then right. she's bashing it. She's trying to hit him backwards with the <laughs> yes. chainsaw through her own neck. Yes. It's. <laughs> It's really funny. It's some really great physical humor. And luckily he manages to get a hold of it and slash into the head as well. Yes. Which, you know, it, it's sitting there just laughing the whole time. And it's really awesome. He does a great scream when he, he sure does. does. It does a number of fantastic screams. Each one different, too. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's nice that it, it's, you know, some, like, scream queens, yeah. as the term goes, they have a, a very distinct scream. Bruce Campbell manages to have several distinct screams. It's really yeah. impressive. And also, 
I want to note that right now we're 14 minutes into the movie. <laughs> it's action-packed, folks. It really is. And so after he finally manages to kill Linda for a second mm. time now, <laughs> his hand gets possessed, and he's he's going nuts, basically. And he goes back into the cabin, and he looks in the mirror, and this, this scene is really, it's awesome. It's yeah. one of my favorite scenes in the movie where he's looking in the mirror, and he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then, evil, not evil Ash, but... Uh, a mirror version of Ash is like, are you? And he's like, we just killed our girlfriend yeah. with a chainsaw. <laughs> we are not fine. Yeah. And he he comes through the mirror and attacks Ash and he stumbles away and he looks at the mirror and it's back to normal. Yeah. And and you're starting to be like, oh, is he like going crazy? Is this psychosis uh, starting to take root? Let me ask you a question. Do you think that this film would fit into the category of H.P. Lovecraft? Whew. Um, Does this are Kandarian demons a metaphor sure. for the old ones? He, the Necronomicon, obviously, that universal piece of the MacGuffin of horror <laughs> movies. Yeah, just whenever you need something, it's in the Necronomicon. Yeah, I, I think that I, if you hadn't suggested it, I don't know that I would have been like, oh, of course, this is part of H.P. Lovecraft st- t- uh, style stuff. But now that you've said it, I think that I would definitely agree with. Yeah, that. I just think like the themes of of just like lesser gods yeah. and the ability to like commune with this other mm-hmm. realm because like, they don't and the madness that and takes the madness and yes just like in, there's even a part where uh, later in the movie where a character a ghost says uh, save my soul and save your minds yeah like definitely heavy on the madness there yeah it's it's it definitely feels like a, a if it's if it's not a direct like plot into it it mm-hmm. certainly takes a lot of influence from yes. it I would say the hand that Ash got bit on, the veins turn black, <laughs> and it's really gross looking, yeah. and it becomes possessed, and, and it starts to try to kill him. And I have to say that this is some really impressive acting from oh, Bruce Campbell. I was going to say the same thing. It's an incredible physical performance where it really looks like it's being controlled by something else. Yeah. His hand looks separate from the rest of his body. Yeah, the ability... He literally makes his own hand another character. Mm-hmm. That he is acting... His scene partner in this scene is his own right hand. Right. I mean, to a certain extent, this... Bruce Campbell has had to carry a lot of the load of this movie on his back at this point. It's certainly... He's the main character moving forward as well. But more characters start to get introduced. Yeah. This first part of the movie, besides Deadite Linda, which is really... Uh, it's a character, but it's more just something for him to like. And half up the time, it's not even a real person, right? It's, and and so it's or puppets or so it's it's Bruce Campbell just having a, to exude that charisma again and yeah. and keep people interested by just himself, and he does it. It's a really remarkable job, and he just beats himself <laughs> up. He sure does. He beats himself up for our enjoyment, and uh, for that we can only thank him, and. He. This is one of the the gelatin molds that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Comes into play here. It's a really the hand looks great. Yeah. Um, Greg Nicotero was talking about in the commentary about how they had tried to use like a foam one at first, and it looked too rubbery. Mm-hmm. But they were hesitant to use the gelatin because so they were going through a heat wave in North Carolina, and it was like 120 degrees, and things would melt if you just if you didn't keep it refrigerated. Yeah. So. They built this gelatin hand, and Ash uh, has to stab through it, and I wince. Oh, when it's, I it's, see it. I, I wrote it's one of the biggest jump scares 
yeah. I think in the movie because it's such a slow scene mm-hmm. of just this hand slowly creeping towards this giant butcher knife <laughs> and then just snaps down. Yeah. It's great. It is great. And uh, Ash, he he has to cut off his own hand. It's pinned to the ground and he takes the chainsaw and he cuts off his own hand. Goes right for it. He, no sec- he wakes up from being passed out and yeah. his first thought is just Gonna cut my hand off now. It feels like at this point he's like, might as well. I might as well have to cut my hand off. He's he's just been driven so mad that he's yeah. like, keep in mind that we, we've established that daylight drives the demons out of the body. Yeah, but no, he's like, I can't take this risk. I want this done with. It's because it's revenge. Yeah. He literally wants revenge on his own hand. Because yeah. you know what he says when he does it? He goes, "Who's laughing now?" <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> he just and wants to get comeuppance on this other character. I get it. I really get it. And he cuts off this hand, but it's still alive. It's still kicking, and it scurries away. And he ha- he has a shotgun. Well, for, he puts the bucket over it with one of the best little visual yes, gags that's in right. the movie. He puts a bunch of books on top of it. Top book. Farewell to arms. That's right. It's it's a wonderful joke. Yes. Uh, you have to really be looking at it to, to notice it, but. It's just another classic example of the like small jokes that Sam Raimi puts into a lot of well, work. Well, a lot of them actually came from the producer Scott Spiegel. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because they brought in this guy who actually was one of their childhood friends mm-hmm. when they were kids. Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, Scott Spiegel, uh, Ted Raimi were these like ragtag, ragtag <laughs> guerrilla filmmakers <laughs> who would make eight millimeter films like stop motion. And he really leaned towards comedy. Mm. So when they were decided to make this movie, very much in line with that, like, I only want my friends here. Like, sure. this is a, a labor of love. He called his old friend, their old friend from when they were kids, mm-hmm. and was like, I need you to help me make this funnier. Well, he did a great job with it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned their guerrilla filmmaking days in their youth because one of the few things that came back from the first Evil Dead, because they, this is six years later this yeah. movie is made from the first one and so a lot of the a lot of the sets and props and everything got either torn down or just vanished into the ether as cabins turned down do. yeah and so one of the few things that did come back is the tape recorder mm-hmm. which um bruce campbell said that that is his dad's tape recorder <laughs> that the that was what they used to add sound to their films when they were little kids so it's it's Really, that childhood fondness for each other and for making these movies clearly has carried them this far. And I think that it's a nice little homage to their previous years to be able to include this in the movie. So he has the shotgun and he is trying to kill his hand. (laughs) He's already cut it off. He's trying to shoot his hand. And there's a couple of great little gags here. The hand... Gets caught in a rat trap and, uh, and flips him off at one point. Flips him off, and it's just a really funny scene. And he he shoots at it, and he thinks that he gets it because a little bit of blood comes out of the wall. And he's sitting there like, "Ah, I gotcha." And then this is the scene that I mentioned briefly before with all the the fifty-five gallon yeah. drums of blood. An insane amount of blood. Oh, it just it's shoots blasting. Out. It really it. does, and. I when I was reading about how they filmed this because I was like like there's so much and it's such a high volume what did they use to get it to spray out at such a high velocity they literally t- turned the set 
they they put Bruce Campbell on like a, a, a diving board. Yeah. And they were like, okay, uh, look like you're being hit with something, and like just make a snow angel, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so it's the blood is actually falling down onto him instead of being shot out. Wow. And it's it's ingenious to be yeah. able to to create this awesome effect with just gravity. <laughs> like it's literally it's so simple, but. It looks great when it's when it's put to film. Yeah, he gets shot out with all this blood, and the hand is mocking him. And cut two, <laughs> we finally get to meet some other characters, and it's it's really funny because this he's being he's going through so much, and then we cut to these other characters literally uh, just getting off a plane. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're just like, oh, we're finally back from our trip, and uh, <laughs> just just the the most exposition heavy. Uh, yeah. You know, she gets off the plane, and he's like, "How was your trip?" And she's like, "I found the missing pages of the demonic Necronomicon." I can't wait to see my parents at our cabin. <laughs> And he's like, well, let's go to the cabin. Also, I haven't been able to talk to your dad for a week. Guess everything's fine. Yeah, there's, there's no phone. You're his research assistant. What have you been doing for a week? <laughs> he's like, this is my vacation time. <laughs> These characters are, like we said, the daughter of the inhabitant uh, of the professor that we mm-hmm. talked about before. Her name is Annie. And her, uh, boyfriend, and her boyfriend and research partner is Ed. Yep. And... They are returning from a dig, and they drive up, and they find this destroyed bridge. So at least that is for that, that's for real. It's not just an Ash's mind. Yeah. And they come across um, some locals who are there. I'm not sure if Jake, one of the locals, like works for the town, and he, he must cause setting he has, up because the... he has a, a siren on top of his antique truck. Yeah, it's it's a little bizarre, but you're just you you roll with it. Yeah. And Jake and his girlfriend Bobby Joe are both there, and they say you can't get across. This is the only path to the cabin, and you can't get across. And they're like, oh well, what the hell? How could that possibly be the only way? Jake says, I know another path actually, and if you pay me. <laughs> I'll take you to it. And his initial price that he starts to, to give them is $45. <laughs> and uh, in a very God. funny... Yeah, in, in it's so specific. Five. Yeah, And then uh, his girlfriend kind of uh, coughs at him to get his attention, and he bumps it up to $100. Which is not... It's nothing to sneeze at, just to, uh, just to get someone somewhere. And she says, if you take our bags, then fine, I'll give you the $100. And he looks into the car, and he sees, like, one little, like, uh, attache case and, and, and the pages. And, and, the, and the, the picture frame that they're keeping yes. these priceless artifacts That's in. That's right. They're, that at one point they say, they haven't aged today in 3,000 years. That's right. That's right. It's a, it's a great picture frame, man. They, <laughs> these, those... are the, these are the oldest pieces of <laughs> written material in human history. Yeah. Like, on paper. <laughs> And uh, and you know what, Craig? They haven't aged a day in three thousand years. And uh, and so he says, "Sure, I'll take those bags." And there's another fun gag. Very much feels in vain with the farewell to arms joke. Mm-hmm. You cut to Jake with this huge, huge like steam steam trunk. trunk, yeah, uh, just strapped to his back. And he he's grousing about how he thought that it was gonna just be the two little things. It's very funny. It's just a nice light moment yeah. <laughs> uh, after we've gotten so much. So we have now four characters who are showing up at this cabin. Meanwhile, Ash is 
He's going crazy. Descending in there. into madness. Yes. This is the laugh scene. This is the yeah. notorious laugh scene where Ash is in the middle of the room and literally the entire room starts laughing at him. And he's, he's laughing as well. The room is shaking. The Every single thing, like the lamp is bouncing up and yeah. down. There's a deer head, like a stuffed deer head on the wall that contorts into this really like evil looking yeah. thing and it's laughing at him. Great and, puppet work in this scene. Yeah, it is. Although... It's funny, I, I didn't notice this until Sam Raimi himself pointed it out, but there's, like, one bucket where they were like, that whoever was puppeteering this one, I don't know what they were doing because it just kind of, like, floats in a circle instead of <laughs> bouncing up and down like it's laughing, and I was like, I, li- I literally would never have noticed that unless he pointed it out, but now I'll never not see it. There's literally just a pail floating. But it's a very intense scene, and if you haven't seen it, you really should because... Us just saying that the room is laughing at him is not doing it justice. It's a really yeah. awesome scene. I, I wrote that uh, just the way the whole cabin develops as a character. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, uh, that's again, it is another character. Yeah. Uh, and just the way that it reacts. You know, everyone reacts differently when they are infested with this Kandarian demon. Mm-hmm. And the cabin and the trees themselves are no exception. Yeah. And they react and develop in their own unique ways. Right. It's really great. Ash has been through so much at this point that you sort of get why he's going nuts. When he's beating himself up a little earlier, it, I mean, obviously this is before Fight Club, but it really reminded me of the scene (laughs) where Ed Norton is beating himself up in the office. And Bruce Campbell is, like, grabbing his own hair and, like, pulling himself backwards. And and he does it, well, earlier, he does this amazing move where he grabs himself by the hair and pulls himself forward into a front flip. (laughs) He, like, with no springing, he sure. just tumbles. Yeah. And I think Bruce Campbell actually studied... I mean, he, he went to he went to acting school, and I know he studied miming. And wow. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. And uh, really, really developed this, like, body control mm-hmm. that you see in this film. It certainly is on display, and this is also the, the part where that Dutch angle that I was talking mm-hmm. about comes into play. It really represents kind of the insanity that that this character Ash is going through. Um, it's everything is coming together in a way that all contributes to letting you know what's happening in a yeah. way that I don't think a lot of movies do. Usually, camera work is so much more passive that it feels it feels like you're watching something. But because everything is so active and working towards a greater whole, it, it feels more like you're involved in it. Yeah, they, they also really do this. I noticed something, too. F- 44 minutes into the movie, with the exception of the opening scene with Ash and Linda, mm-hmm. Ash has barely spoken a word. Yeah. He has a couple one-liners. They put in the word <laughs> workshed uh, <laughs> later. Yeah. But for the most part, he has said next to nothing other than just maniacal laughing. It's true, and I think that this is... Again, part of like what I was talking about before, where he has to just kind of put the movie on his back, yeah. and these physical performances are incredible, and he has to do so much work to keep the movie going at this point that it's it's shocking that he manages to do this. Yeah. Now he's doing this, and the four other people—Bobby, Joe, uh, Jake, Ed, and Annie—they show up, but we don't necessarily know this, and. The the meeting happens because Ash hears a sound outside, and he shoots at the door, 
and nothing really happens. He thinks that he's just like, oh, I, all right. I yeah, it's silent there. for a while. So he puts the gun down. And yeah. He's like, okay, here's nothing's <laughs> he, he going on. He puts his head outside. Doesn't yeah. see anything somehow. <laughs> and then really bizarre, he steps away from the door, and we yeah. see him, and then just out of nowhere. Jake seems to appear and tackle him. Yeah, he he comes out of nowhere, but he gets the jump on Ash, which, again, this kind of plays into that sort of, this is not a hero. It's, he couldn't beat this guy in a fight. Like, this is just some dude. He's like, (laughs) you know, I hate to be pejorative, but, like, he's a hick. He's, like, missing a front tooth, and he seems like an idiot. Fucking overalls. (laughs) And so he gets the shit kicked out of him by this guy. He gets knocked out right away. While he's down, they get another kick in on him. Yeah, he kicks him in the head. Which, interestingly enough, um, again, this is from the commentary, Sam Raimi was saying that that is one of the few scenes that got cut in the UK because you weren't, you're not allowed to kick a man while he's down. <laughs> and so so the, that, that one little bit gets cut where he kicks him in the face. And, uh, and so... America, you get to see that, <laughs> so that's nice. Land of the free. Yeah, and so they're they're kind of discussing what to do with him and where Annie's parents might be while he's passed out. And I think that this is the interactions between Annie and Ed and Jake and Bobby Joe is really interesting to me because they do a really good job of kind of communicating this like class struggle between yeah. them, where they are pretty antagonistic towards each other despite the fact that they are ostensibly working together. And this this comes across when they're trying to bargain for more money and Annie uh, doesn't really bat an eye at the increase in price. Yeah. There's they're dressed very differently. Uh, Ed literally has like a sweater tied around his uh the, his the, neck. the classic 80s yuppies yeah, looking. Yeah. Exactly. And uh it's really interesting that they managed to create that conflict as just another layer in addition to all this other stuff. And they decide that what they're going to do is they're going to throw Ash into the cellar. They throw him down there, and she's listening to the recording of her father. Talking about, he, I believe he says, I translated the first part of the demon resurrection passages. <laughs> yes. It's like, uh, what could go wrong <laughs> with this? Let me read aloud the demon resurrection passages. And uh, nothing will happen here. <laughs> of course, the demon possesses his wife. He talks about how he had to kill his wife, and he buried her, womp womp, in, in the, the fruit earth, cellar. In the earthen floor of the fruit cellar. <laughs> it's an odd place to bury someone. It sure is, especially when you're in the forest. It yeah. feels like he could have at least pulled a Linda and buried her out There's there. shallow graves everywhere yeah, you look. exactly. You can't, you can't walk ten feet without stumbling over another corpse in those forests. <laughs> And so they are like, oh, shit. And Ash, is, Ash has woken up at this point, so he can hear this recording. And he is like, oh, shit, as well. And out of the earth rises uh, Mrs. Noby. And, Harriet. Yes, exactly. Harriet Noby. And she she starts attacking him. And he's One of my favorite lines, she rises from the earth and says, someone is in my fruit cellar. <laughs> it's, it's really great. And it's... So that's actually Ted Raimi in that suit, Sam's brother, and from what I hear, it was hell. Oh, in there. you said it was hundred. I mean, you said earlier it was hundred and twenty degrees. Yeah. They talk about literally having to pour. I mean, just like cups a, of sweat, a quantifiable yeah. amount of sweat, like a 
that could fill a vessel. Yeah, it's it's gross. It's really yeah. gross to think about. And not only does he have that insane suit on that's really hot, he is also wearing those contact lenses, so he can't see anything. The only part of Ted Raimi that is visible is his tongue. <laughs> and the poor guy, you know, I gotta say, he's putting in work. He brings it. He brings oh, it. Absolutely, in that suit. just chewing it up. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful. She, she, he, uh, Mrs. Noby is attacking uh, Ash Williams, and. He's up on the. He's up at the doorway to it and bashing on it and saying like, "Help me, help me, get me out of here!" And Jake is fumbling with the lock and it's it's taking way longer than it should because he's an idiot. And she's she's approaching him and this is where we get one of the I would say one of the the best lines from the movie, like one of those one of the catchphrases I mm-hmm. think or uh, things that kind of stuck around, which is when Miss Noby says, I'll swallow your soul. Yeah, swallow your soul. Swallow your soul. <laughs> it's, it, it is great. And you're right that that is one of the iconic lines of the movie. It's definitely kind of marked itself in the lexicon of of horror fans. People know what you're referencing when you talk yeah. about that. And she's down there. They finally get Ash out. And the spirit from before now possesses Ed instead so they have mrs noby in the basement and she's freaking out down there because they got the lock back on and meanwhile ed the boyfriend of annie is now in this room with them and he also has a really awesome prosthetic on his face yeah. i have a big problem with teeth mm-hmm. oh I you must hate this I, and it, yeah his mouth prosthetic is terrifying yeah. it's like rows like shark teeth rows yeah but of like molars yeah and it's his mouth is just like hanging open yeah and he's levitating about the room it's it's gross (laughs) it's really gross he flies forward and he attacks uh bobby yeah and he eats her hair he sure does in a really bizarre (laughs) scene and they really show him like swallowing the hair oh actually they they don't mention it but his backstory is that the character has pika (laughs) The notorious disease where you just eat random shit. Uh, <laughs> I really got that from Ed. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's in, really deep. In, it's a deep performance. In the nuances of the character. Exactly. If you pause uh, the movie at random points, you see him in the background just like shoving, <laughs> shoving pine cones into his mouth. There's there's Tyler Durden-esque uh, like shots <laughs> put into it where it's just him going, I have Pika. <laughs> So, yes, he, he eats her hair. It's very bizarre. And uh, um, One other thing I noticed about this, this scene that carries throughout the rest of the movie is there is a lot of fist fighting in yeah. this movie. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of punches being thrown. There sure is. There, I mean, it's a very active movie. Like I said, it's not just the camera that's active. Yeah. People are moving in yeah. this thing. Uh, everyone is jumping around and, and fighting, fighting each other. And it's friggin' Pirates of Penzance <laughs> up in here. <laughs> And Ash, now out of the basement, he runs into the other room, and he grabs an axe, and he... Well, the great part, when he runs out of the room, like, Linda screams at, or not Linda, Annie Annie, screams at him, like, come back here, you coward! (laughs) Come back and help us! Yeah, well, so... You just had him locked in the basement, and now she's like, what, you're running away? (laughs) Why aren't you trying to save us? On top of all that, it's a fucking demon! (laughs) Run away! (laughs) But he doesn't. He runs into the other room. He gets the axe. He comes back and he dismembers Ed. And green blood everywhere. Green blood 
everywhere. Meanwhile, friggin' Harriet is still bugging out in the fruit cellar, and they go to slam on the on the, the door to it, and her eye pops out, and again, this is a, a great gelatin mold that they made, just shoots Soars through the air. completely across the room <laughs> in, in with no arc. It no, just, it's linear. Yeah, it goes right into Bobby Joe's mouth, and she swallows it. And it's it's gross, and you're like, damn, friggin', you got demon eye in your guts now. <laughs> it's it's not a fun time for Bobby Joe. No. Um, she's had her hair eaten, and she's eaten an eyeball. Um, I don't envy her. One thing I didn't mention that happens is, in order to convince Annie to let her out, the demon of Harriet turns back into regular Harriet. Yeah. She turns into the mom, and she sings her a little. Uh, she sings her uh, mockingbird, yeah. yeah, yeah, and she starts like just reciting facts about <laughs> Annie. It's like you were born on this day. Yeah, I remember because it was snowing. Snowing in September. Yeah, so strange. That's it's right. Snowing in September. At one point, one of the demons was like, "We have your darling Linda down in hell," and to me. It's interest this this part of the movie solidifies that they in fact do have the souls of these people down yep. there in hell, which I think is really interesting because it would be very easy for people to just be like, oh, I mean, they're just dead, whatever. Yeah. But the fact that they have this knowledge that really only the mother would have means that they do have these souls down there, and I assume are like torturing them for information or something. So it really adds another layer of kind of just urgency whoa yeah like we i don't want my parents to be down there being tortured so i'd like to free them if possible it's just a nice little touch to kind of reinforce that yeah so they're fighting evil ed they're fighting mrs noby and eventually this all becomes too much for bobby joe they actually they go into the the other room yeah it calms down gets quiet and then there's, like, a mysterious noise mm-hmm. in one of the bedrooms, which Ash says, oh, let's go all investigate it. Brave, brave Jake is just, he's like, I ain't going in there, yeah. you can go. So Ash volunteers to go in with Annie. Yeah. Uh, and they go in, and there's nothing there. Bobby Joe and Jake come in, and, you know, everything seems to be fine. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, see, I told you there was nothing in here. Yeah, Jake is. Jake was so scared to go in, and then he walked in, and he's like, I told you there weren't nothing in here. <laughs> Shut up, Jake. <laughs> and then they get the classic, the lights start to flicker. That's right. It's, the lights go out, uh, mm-hmm. the lantern. Yeah, the lantern gets knocked over, and uh, and it gets knocked out, basically. The, the flame goes out in the lantern when it falls, and... Well, Ash, it goes out because uh, Bobby Joe is like, you know, why are you squeezing my hands so oh, that's tight? Right, that's right, yeah. Uh, yeah, she says, why, uh, you're, you're holding my hand too tight, Jake. And Jake says, I'm not holding your hand, Bobby Joe. And she looks down, and there's a, the remote-controlled version of this hand that they built. And it's squirming around, and it's <laughs> she's freaking out, and she is waving this other hand around. <laughs> and in her flailing, she bumps into Annie, who is holding the lantern, which... By the way, Annie takes this lantern when they still think that there is something in this room. So I don't know what she thinks she's going to do with this lantern as a weapon. Like, Ash is going in I there. It's to give light. I don't. I mean, it's the lights are on, well, though. When the lantern goes out, though, it goes pitch dark it's immediately. True. It's true, but uh, the lights were on, so I don't know what she was doing. But 
Regardless, the Bobby Joe is flailing around. She bumps into Annie, and this is when the lantern falls, and it, it gets turned out. Obviously, at this point, Bobby Joe has had enough. God, she has gone through not quite as much as Ash, but certainly uh, a lot. She's hit her breaking point. Yes. And so they turn the lamp back on, they, they light it up, and they look around, and Bobby Joe has vanished. And she has run out into the forest. This terrible forest that we know about, but, you know, she has no way of knowing that this is a death trap, basically. <laughs> and Jake is like, Where, where's Bobby Joe? We have to go find her. And it cuts to her perspective a little bit, because Ash is like, if she's gone out there, she's dead already. Yeah. And Bobby Joe is, is running out there, and this is when the trees start to grab at her. Yeah, an homage, an homage to the first film. That's right. It's it's very intense. It's not obviously it's not as intense as the first movie, but they are grabbing her and and like tearing her her clothes a little bit and, and dragging they're, they're her. They're like they're like stabbing into That's her face. Exactly. This is it's genuinely I think that this is probably the most unsettling I scene would, in I would, the entire I would agree movie. With that as well. It's yeah, the branches are like just like stabbing into her skin and like embedding in there. It looks yeah, like, like a most parasite. people just get like instantly possessed. Yeah, so they're kind of unaccountable for their actions. Mm. She is getting tortured. Yeah, it's really brutal, and uh, she's getting pulled through this forest. Again, it's just sort of <laughs> I don't envy her. It's not it's not a fun time for anyone. No, but uh, she's she certainly seems to get one of the worst deaths uh, in yeah. this movie. And Jake is not having it. He's like, we got to go find her. He managed to get a hold of the shotgun as as uh, Annie and Ash are trying to translate the pages to figure out how they can stop this whole situation. A great part in here where they really... They must have been very confident in this film mm -hmm. because they very explicitly set up the sequel. Yeah. It's, uh, it's in, really in this part. insane that they, they're... Are like, yeah, we're gonna set up this crazy idea. Yeah, I think it's really rare in a movie to set up a sequel not in like the last five mm -hmm. minutes. Yeah, or a, a sequel that's not like rules based. You know, mm -hmm. like a like a Jason movie where it's like, oh, in the sequel, you know, Jason's coming back. Right. And this one, they set up such an outrageous sequel that in the thirteenth century, the hero fell from this, and it's very clearly Ash with his chainsaw hand. That's right. And shotgun. Yeah, the boomstick. That I was like, I don't remember this, <laughs> but this is amazing that they would take the time to do this. That Sam was like, I know where this series is going. Yeah, this was the goal all along, and I'm gonna make it so that if I do get the opportunity to make a sequel, there's only one way it can go. Yeah. And there's also a great line here where Annie is telling Ash about this hero who was prophesized to destroy the the evil, and he fell from the sky, and, and he saved everyone, and Ash looks around and he says, well, he didn't do a very good job. <laughs> <laughs> and we see that it's him, and it's, it's very funny, but he says it so unironically that it works beautifully as a piece of irony. Yeah. And they're, they're trying to figure out how they can stop this whole situation. Jake gets the shotgun, and he he says, oh, we got to go find Bobby Joe. He takes the pages that they had, and he throws them down back into the fruit cellar. A real dick move on Jake's There's part. pages in my fruit cellar. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yes, Henrietta gets a little reading material 
uh, at least. So it's, it's it's a little generous of him, but yeah, pretty pretty rude to the rest of the crew. And he pulls them out to the forest. They're looking for Bobby Joe, but again, Ash gets possessed out here. Yeah, I wrote the rules of possession in this movie are not very well defined. It's it's true. But it's great because they're just you know what you never know when somebody's going to get possessed. That's exactly it. It's normally I'm a big proponent of horror needs to have rules. Without the rules and knowing what to expect, you don't know what to be scared of. Sure. But by showing that anyone can be possessed at any time, sort of the lack of rules becomes the rule here, where you're scared of this possession because you know that anyone could get possessed at any time, basically. Well, I think I think it's something that they did intentionally because I think it's something that's kind of hidden at the way that these demons just fuck with them. Mm-hmm. That... You know, I think at any point in time, if they wanted to, they could kill them. You know, they could possess them. But these are demons that have been, you know, kept in this hell dimension sure. for thousands of years. And as far as they know, I guess by the rules of this possession, like once these people are dead, you know, they're kind of gone and they have to just hang out there. Yeah. Because they're haunting this particular stretch of woods. So they want to have fun. You know, and they want to they wanna mess with these people and scare them and really get them to succumb to this madness. And they're that doing a hell of a job. easier probably to possess them. A hell of a job. <laughs> <laughs> so Ash gets, he becomes possessed again, like I said, and he starts attacking them and he incapacitates Jake. And Annie, she goes back to the cabin and Ash and Jake are still out there. And as far as she knows, Jake is out for the count. Yeah. And so... When she hears a noise at the cabin, she assumes that it's possessed Ash, and just stabs Picks out. Picks up the best weapon, I think, in, awesome. in all of horror mythology. A Kandarian is, dagger. Yeah, which is a sharpened spinal column with yeah. a baby skull on yeah. the end of it. It's fucked up in the best way. Yeah. And she stabs out, and it turns out that it was Jake, after all. It was not Ash, and... He just has this big wound in his gut now. <laughs> she also does the worst thing that you're supposed to do when someone gets stabbed. Is she's just like, let me pull out this incredibly jagged, like, barbed yeah. knife. Yeah, I'm sure. She won't do any more damage. No, and he definitely pretty not. much immediately dies. Well, he he's in agony, and yeah. she's, like, pulling him a little bit. And he's, like, screaming in pain, as you would. And she literally tells him to shut up. <laughs> It's like, you you stabbed him. You just stabbed me. <laughs> and she tells him to shut up, and she's dragging him over. Annie's a very cruel person. I mean, her, true. her boyfriend gets killed, and she does not bat an eye. It's true, but you know what? She gets shit done. Yeah. She's pulling him over to the, like towards the cellar door. Henrietta pops wow. out again, and she grabs onto Jake and just like pulls him in a little bit. And as Annie is, like, trying to keep him above the fruit cellar, this is, like you talked about, this is where just an insane amount of <laughs> Henrietta opens the fire hydrant yes. in the basement. It is so funny. It is a comical amount of blood <laughs> that shoots out of poor Jake. <laughs> it's just smashing Annie in the face. And... I gotta say, props to Annie, because she did not let go of him no. when she's getting smashed in the face with all this. But Henrietta does, in fact, manage to pull him all the way down, and Ash now tries to kill Annie. He picks her up and does, like, a sweet wrestling move. He throws <laughs> her over. Picks her up and flings her into yeah, a wall. I mean, she has got several cracked ribs. Yeah, for sure. But 
Ash sees the necklace that he gave to Linda. The very tacky, like, yes. grandma magnifying glass. I, I believe necklace. they said it cost $12. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so he sees this necklace and... Uh, I wrote, love conquers the demon. That's I wrote, love conquers the beast. That's true. It's genuinely a pretty sentimental scene. It's pretty touching because yeah. Ash has this demon makeup on. But some of that pathos still comes through. And well, it's through his body, because yeah. his face can't really react that mm-hmm. much. It's still it's fixed in this prosthetic demon glare. Yeah. But he really has to sag his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And Sam Raimi does a really great job with the sound design in this film. Uh, the sound design is something we haven't really talked about a lot, but it's phenomenal. Yeah, and it's from like, random stuff, where like yeah. they talk about going and just going to like dollar stores and finding toys that make noises that they like, and putting in, like, random monkey sounds yes. in. It, it really is great sound design. And he, like you said, he uses his body to sort of convey this story of being reminded of his former life and all that he's gone through, and he manages to fend off this demon from inside. And it's great. It's a wonderful scene. Yeah, it really kind of puts you more on Ash's side yeah. than you had been at this point because, like you said, he's very selfish. He is not a great hero and and so this is at least like oh well all right i get you ash you're 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 just doing your best yeah and so annie at this point attacks ash she wakes up and she doesn't know that he is back to normal despite him yelling at her i'm back to normal He's like, just take me at my word i'm good like <laughs> no problem um and so she attacks him and he he kind of fends her off a little bit and says i'm fine and she says, okay. And then she attacks him again. And he <laughs> says, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And she sort of believes him when he, like, goes back to, like, hit her, but then, like, stops himself. And she says, okay, you're fine, but for how long? Yeah. Which is, again, sort of that point of you never know when this is going to strike. Yeah, you don't again. know the rules of possession in this world. And the yeah. characters don't. And I like that they, they mention that. Mm-hmm. They don't know what's going on. There's no way to know. So better just kill him now. Exactly. But Ash manages to convince her and... She realizes that she needs his help, and so Ash and Annie attach the chainsaw. Well, we're just going to talk about this montage for a second, because it's phenomenal. Yeah. This is when the movie... This movie is a movie that shifts multiple times mm-hmm. into just different sort of... I wouldn't necessarily say genre, but like different tones. Sure, it pivots a lot. It pivots, and this part, through this very bizarre mechanical like snap zoom montage yeah of them building this chainsaw hand it's great it's really great and it's such a cool weapon and ash with the chainsaw attached to his stump has 100 percent earned its place in the horror iconography yeah i i noted that the this movie i think really did something that horror movies that, that usually you know weapons become affixed to characters right mm-hmm. and it's hard I think, to use those weapons in other movies. A character or a monster a killer that kills people with a machete. Yeah. If you did that movie now, you'd be like, I, I don't really buy it. That's yeah. Jason Voorhees' weapon. Yeah. The chainsaw for years was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's the association that mm. that has. And I think this movie is one of the few movies that is able to take something that has already been established as a symbol of terror and to turn it into a symbol of heroism. Yeah. You know, the chainsaw to me is not a scary weapon. It's a demon-killing weapon. It's, it sure is, and, and it's great. It looks cool. 
he's cool with it. He uses it to like saw off the shotgun. <laughs> I don't know if that's how that works. I don't either. But but who cares? It, it looks he, so cool. He, he just flip when he saws that off, elbows the barrel off, mm-hmm. and then just does a sweet gun flip mm-hmm. into his back holster yeah. that he got somewhere. It's it's incredible, and he unleashes the classic Ashism of Groovy. And you know what? I actually paused the movie at this point, and I just tried. I was like, "Groovy, groovy," and I was just <laughs> just trying to say it because it's such a ridiculous word. Mm-hmm. But when he says it, and the way that he says it is so phenomenal, you're like, "I get it, I get it." I'm like, "Hell yeah, this is groovy." <laughs> And I just tried myself, if, if you're listening to this right now, go ahead and just pause it for a second, and I want you to just try and say groovy in a way that sounds cool, and it's almost impossible. It can't be done. It's a, it's a word that's been lost to the 70s and 80s, unfortunately. <laughs> but it works here, and, and God bless Bruce Campbell for, uh, for making it work. Because, like you said, this this montage is just so cool. It really is. It's an awesome scene in an already awesome movie. And it really lets you know that things are about to kick up. That as much as things have already escalated, strap in, boys and girls. <laughs> because <laughs> they literally strap him in. They sure do. To the action that's yeah, about to happen. They sure do. And and it's great. And he, he uses these newfound weapons to venture back down into the fruit cellar looking a, for the pages. Another great one-liner. This movie is full of one-liners, but he says, let's carve us a witch. It's great. You're right. This, uh, this is, it is filled with great one-liners. One that we did not mention before is when they're screaming, dead by daylight. Or dead, dead by, by dawn. dawn. Yes. Dead, by, dead by dawn. Dead by dawn. Yeah, it's it's great. Some people kind of affix that as like the, the, the subtitle of The Evil Dead 2. It, it, it's kind of on and off the same way that people are like, it's a sequel, it's a re-. like It kind of depends on who you ask, yeah. but it's a great line that deserves to be mentioned, even though we kind of passed over it. Yeah. So Ash is going down into the basement, let's carve us a witch. He goes down there, he finds the pages without really any issue, and he throws them up to Annie. They were saying that they had to glue the pages together so that they could kind of get thrown up in one like uh, one bundle but it looks like it's just the reverse he, like she dropped it down and then they just reversed the footage but it actually it was just glued together and he threw it up and it, it looks it looks good it's classic filmmaking right yeah there. that's right oh, i want to say too this is one of the few times again that i think you almost never see in a horror movie the heroes or like the victims the survivors intimidating the aggressor yeah you know, Ash walks in that basement revving the chainsaw. <laughs> like, come on, I'm yeah. ready. And he, he says, attack me, basically. And <laughs> But he is backing up after he gets the pages, which is, for my money, a rookie mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you should never walk backwards in a horror movie. And because of that, as he throws the pages up to her, he gets attacked from behind by Henrietta. He's running up the stairs, and she's attacking him, and she transforms into this long-necked, crazy monster. Henrietta. It's really crazy. It's another great, um, like, makeup, special effects work thing. It's it's really great mixture of of prosthetics, stop motion, Mm -hmm. trick photography, puppeteering. Yeah. Uh, This sequence is all in all incredible. Yeah. Because we really see a lot of the Henrietta. She comes out, she's like flying in that fat suit mm-hmm. that poor... Oh, dad. You can see the sweat 
pouring out of his ear. It's gross. It's really gross. It, it lends a lot, it honestly. Does. And I wanted to mention that the Henrietta mat, uh, suit, which, like you said, you can really see it at this point, she kind of reminds me of a Cenobite a little bit. Yeah. She kind of looks like Butterball, where she, like, has these big open wounds yeah. on her stomach, and, like, she's bloated and just gross. Like, yeah. she's really gross Sore covered and... Yeah. Um, and, like you said, uh, there's all kinds of neat tricks that they use to, to show her transforming into this brontosaurus monster, <laughs> as, you, as you put it aptly. And Ash is fighting her while Annie is reading the pages. She's trying to just get it done this with. This girl can power through ancient Kandirian. It's, it's like, insane. Like, nobody. Yeah, I don't know why her dad was like, he was like, I worked so hard to translate the first part of it, and she's just <laughs> like, like ah! <laughs> yeah. yeah, Um, and she, she's reading this off, and Ash manages to kill Henrietta because he, she gets the upper hand on him, but then Annie notices this and she recites the the mockingbird song back and it it you're not sure if it's actually connecting with the mom or or if it's just like shocking to this demon that yeah. they're like uh, they're trying this yeah. but it's enough of a distraction that she turns towards Annie and Ash he carves him a witch he sure does and uh and she arms go flying yeah the head goes flying as well uh, he really slices her up and uh, the head's on the floor, and great, it screams at her. Great sound, though, here, where as the head is, like, the neck is, the body's, like, flailing about. It's like like a balloon is losing air. Yeah. Like it was filled with gas. Yeah, there's, like, smoke pouring out, like, red smoke pouring out of the neck hole. It's gross. It's intense, and it's gross. And you find out that Annie only managed to read the first half, but now... The woods are just unleashing destruction on Well, them. right before that happens, though, there's another great one-liner where Henrietta's head is on the floor rolling about going, I'll swallow your soul, I'll yeah. swallow your soul. And Ash, the king of one-liners, just lowers the shotgun and goes, Swallow this. <laughs> Bow! Yeah, it's, it's great. It, he really is the king of one-liners. It's hard to think of anyone else in a horror movie that has quite as many... Not just as many one-liners, but as one as many one-liners that work. Yeah. Like, all of his one-liners are good. Yeah, I feel like this movie definitely helped cement... So many horror movies coming after it tried to capture that one-liner mm. magic. There's always a one-liner sure. in these types of films, and they're always so grown. You're like, oh, God. Yeah. The, I mean, the only other person that I can really think of is a villain in Freddy Krueger... But even that, like, a lot of them don't work. Like, yeah. he, he throws out a lot of them, certainly. It's because you but... need a really good actor mm -hmm. to, like, in Jaws. Yeah. Sorry, know? Robert Englund. <laughs> you just can't pull it off. You know, uh, smile, you son of a bitch. Like, a great one. Yeah. Great actor to deliver it correctly, mm -hmm. and it lands. Yeah. Because uh, it, it needs to feel like authentic dialogue from this character. Yep. And it does from Ash. And so... The woods are unleashing destruction on this house. There's, like, trees just smashing in windows, and everything is falling apart. And I gotta say, they are really getting their money's worth out of this set. Um, he said that this was the last thing that they filmed, and yeah. so it is truly getting oh, torn down. Smashing it to pieces. Yeah, this is the beginning of the teardown. 
awesome. Yes. <laughs> they are going to strike the set. Let's get the giant hands in. Just start sweeping. Let's just roll some cameras. Right. It. Uh, take the grip. Just uh, have him tear down a window. <laughs> Everyone pick up a C-stand and start smashing. <laughs> and it's great. It's pretty scary to see all this stuff just come out of nowhere. They're literally surrounded by the forest itself trying to kill them. Yeah. They're doing this, and this demon sticks its head right through the door, and Ash is trying to figure out what to do, and Annie's like, the only way we can do this is to finish the the chant, and so she goes to read the second half, but as she's doing that, he, here comes, I guess, like, the reverse deus ex machina of the hand, the possessed hand of Ash returns, and it stabs her in the back, with the Kandarian dagger, and she... Again, lending to the my theory that Ash is the true villain of this franchise. <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. You know what? You might be right. He he kicked off a lot of the issues here. Yeah, uh, he brings everyone to their death, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Really, you know, because if, if she had just gone to the, to the cabin, mm. like if, if Annie had just gone to the cabin, played the tape recorder, and summoned the demons... She'd be like, oh, shit. And then before things got bad, she's like, well, here, I've got the spell to reverse that. Like, put that to bed real quick. Yeah, exactly. And so things seem dire. Ash is being attacked by the spirit. Seems like Annie is done for. But lo and behold, she manages to pick herself up, finish the chant, and it opens up a portal through time and space in the forest. And it it sucks out the spirit demon and ash though gets one great scene where he gets to stick his chainsaw into the eye he sure does oh also when i should mention that there's a really cool moment when the demon first comes into the room there's a really cool effect where not only does ash like he gets like gray streaks in the side of his hair yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's cool but one thing that i hadn't noticed the first couple times i had seen this movie is that the flowers next to him also die Hmm. They wilt and, and they die the same way that, like, even these plants are scared of this demon. Well, I think this, you know, this goes back to these demons being elder gods. You know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you look upon an elder god, it's sure. usually instant madness. Yeah. Right? This is this in, is a in, minor god. Yeah, this is, god. A, this is a, a, a spawn of an elder yes, god, exactly. the child of, of Hester yeah. and the crawling <laughs> chaos, if you will. I, I will. I will, Craig. And so they open up this portal and it, it sucks out the demon... But it also sucks out Ash. Uh, he's doing his best to hold on, but the poor guy has one hand. <laughs> so he, he's like holding on to a, a counter, and the, the suction is so powerful that the counter literally tears up. So he's holding on to this counter, and as he flies backwards, the counter catches on the doorframe, and it's enough to send Ash flying backwards. And he's like, how do we stop this? Like they, he, he flies into what I called the Christmas light zone. Yeah, that's Which right. Is these bright, like it's it. It looks it looks like Christmas lights. It lo- kind of reminds me of like the inside of the TARDIS too. Yeah, uh, it's it's very bizarre. But uh, some like weird violin music plays. Yeah, I noticed that the because the, it goes from this big swelling, uh, like loud, very loud scene destruction. Yeah, to this very quiet. Like, I'm just Ash being like, oh, yeah, with this very weird violin, like notes play it's it's bizarre he doesn't know how to <laughs> to stop it and it's funny because the whole time she's like i know how to open up this portal but no one ever is like i know how to close the portal too <laughs> so you don't think about it until that exact moment but you're like oh shit yeah how do they stop it 
but they don't. The portal sucks in the demon, it sucks in Ash, it sucks in his car. The classic. Uh, the classic. They fall through and they land, lo and behold, in 1300 <laughs> AD, exactly where the Kandarian script was from. Probably one of the best surprise twists yeah. of an ending, yeah. I think, of any movie. Yeah, it's very fun, it's very, like, goofy. Like, I don't think any other movie takes as big of a, as big of a swing mm-hmm. with an ending. Yeah. Like, yeah, as I big mean, of, a, of, a, of a 180. Sure. Yeah, I mean, especially for one to take this big of a swing and then follow through on it. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I'm thinking of, like, in Jason Goes to Hell, Part 9, like, <laughs> the, like, hands come up from hell and drag them down, and it's like, oh, uh, by the way, we're just going to do space for the next one. So, like, they abandoned it. This like They took this swing, but they, they abandoned it afterward. And that's not the case for the Evil Dead. They took this big swing, and they followed through on it, which yep. is really impressive and it it's it's nice for that they're like we're gonna continue what we promised you um it's it's great as a viewer it's it's impressive for the filmmakers themselves well it's sam raimi being like this is mine yeah this is for me this is for my friends this is something that we want to do and we've always wanted to do yeah and this is what we originally wanted evil dead 2 to be Mm -hmm. but they couldn't get as much money as they wanted because they were going to have Ash get sucked back in time, like, immediately. Right. And they were like, well, we can't get that much money, so we're just going to spend it all on making this tight, sure, pretty much one room, mm-hmm. or one location horror film, horror comedy, and then if this works, we're doing what we want. We're really doing what the whole goal was the whole time. And thank goodness that they did. So Ash lands in 1300 there he's confronted by a group of knights who think that he is one of the demons they, a they call lot of dead knights eye. they yes. spend a lot of money on armor rental for this <laughs> like, scene oh it's a weirdly large amount of knights where you're yeah, like, like 75 knights on horses <laughs> and so they think that he's a deadite and they're they're getting ready to kill him but then an actual deadite swoops in from the sky ash pulls out his his shotgun and he blows its head off and it's very fun, and it's very cool, and he looks like a cool guy. And all the knights are like, oh, hail the hero who's fallen from, from the, the sky. sky to deliver us from the dead ice. Yes, and uh, and he's like, <laughs> he, he screams. He's like, oh, shit, that was me. Uh, and, and it's really funny because not only is he screaming, but as they're chanting, you're just like, there's like one knight with his helmet up. And you're like, is that Sam Raimi? <laughs> It is. It's Sam Raimi with his with his helmet up, and uh, in the commentary they said that one of the knights with his helmet down was uh, was Ted Raimi. So he gets a second part again, completely covered and in a hot suit of armor. So poor Ted really took one for the team on this movie. But uh, God love him. He he puts in a hell of a performance, and it's it's this awesome setup. For, for a sequel. At the the end of the first one, it ends when Ash gets possessed, which is why there's sort of the recap at the beginning of this one. Yeah. And it's an interesting setup for, for a sequel, but it's... We've seen it mm. before at this point. It, it, it might not have been the case when this first, when Evil Dead 1 first came out, but as looking at it, looking at it from the context of 2019, it, it, it's, it's not quite as unique. But... I've never seen anything like the ending of The Evil Dead 2. No. It's it's really a great ending. And I think in terms of, like, filmmaking lore and of, like, the art of, like... You know, it's it's one of those movies that's just, like... 
why can't you do this? Yeah. It's, why do movies have to be so, you know, oh, Jason's gonna kill those campers? And I think this movie kind of set up for those Jason movies, like Jason in Space, where it's like, no, you can take your conceit, mm-hmm. and you can just do something else with it. Yeah. And not as many movies, you know, I think other movies have tried and maybe not have followed through as well with it or been able to accomplish it as well. Yeah. But you've got to give Evil Dead two props for making that acceptable and possible. Yeah, and I I wonder how much of it comes from Sam Raimi's just taste for weird things. Yeah. A lot of people know him from the original Spider-Man trilogy, but he's also done some other fun weird stuff like dark man which mm-hmm. is like sort of a superhero movie yeah. starring liam neeson and his like face gets all jacked up and so he, liam neeson in, in bandages yeah the whole it's time. it's a really weird and fun movie that i recommend to people if you haven't seen it i mean he's great and and this predilection for weird things it permeates all of his movies it really does and i think that this ending of Evil Dead 2 is really representative of that and of his tastes for uh, movies in general. Yeah. Um, so we we took a really deep dive into this movie, Craig, and we talked about what, what certain aspects of this movie make it good. But I gotta know, Craig, why is this the best horror movie ever made? Because there's a lot of good ones. And for a lot of people, something not being like a, a straight horror movie, like this is a horror comedy that would disqualify it for a lot of people. So I'm curious why you think that this is the best horror movie ever made. Well, I just think that Evil Dead 2 is the epitome of what horror fans and people that love horror want and what they strive for. This is a movie that is unflinchingly a vision of one guy's mind, or a couple guys' minds, a collective, if you will, who said we have a goal well, this is what we want to do, and screw anyone that says that we shouldn't. Anyone that wants to get in our way, we're going to do something that's just for us. Yeah. It's what we love. It's what scares us and makes us laugh. And its its influence on the genre cannot be ignored. This movie and its sequels are so influential. They really opened up the genre, I think, to be more funny and to take itself less seriously, and to say that you can do things within horror that are still horror, mm-hmm. but they're they're funny, or they're gross, they're slapstick, that there is room within horror for that stuff, and there is an audience for it, and you can take a risk on that. You know, you can get a little bit of money, a relatively small amount with the first film, more with the second, and do something that hasn't been done before, that there's still room within the genre. It's not all just jump scares. You know, this movie has no real quantifiable stars in it. Uh, there's no celebrities. It's just, it relies on the character work of the actors that they have and the scenery and just the, the total feeling of the film and the world that they created within this tiny little cabin to carry it along. And there's just so much packed into this film that is just in the horror genre. There's body horror. There's psychological horror. There's demonic possession. Murder. There's just so much in this movie to unpack and to look at and to appreciate and to scare you or frighten you or disturb you or make you laugh. And I just think that's so wonderful and unique. 
and Evil Dead 2 has this, you know, this reputation of, of being such a, a quintessential cult classic when it's more than just this, this little niche film. It is such a huge inspiration, I think, for hundreds of filmmakers and hundreds of people, thousands of people, to be interested in horror. It's a great gateway into horror and into, you know, getting more... This was the first, probably one of the first horror movies I ever saw. Mm. And this really started my love of horror and, you know, my appreciation of the genre. And I think for years to come, this film will be looked at and it'll be watched... And it will delight audiences. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think that for me, this is the best horror movie of all time. Because, like you said, it, it is a unique vision. And I know that the audience is probably sick of hearing me talk about people like Robert Eggers and Jordan Peele and Ari Aster. But that that voice that comes through these films, I think that we owe a lot of credit to Sam Raimi for kind of creating this movie and and putting his passion into it in a way that it's it is a sam raimi movie you're right that it is a collective a lot of people worked on it and they worked very hard but at the end of the day this has sam raimi written all over it and i think that you're right that this has inspired people up to this point i think that as we move forward it will only grow in appreciation because for them to be able to do so much with so little and at a time when we did not have the capabilities that we have today it's it's remarkable that they were able to accomplish so much and i think that it's a really good point that it brings so many different subgenres of horror and draws them all into one tight package it's a pretty short movie it's less than 90 minutes yeah. uh, i think it's like 100 uh, it's an, an hour, hour and 24 26. yeah or 20, or sure. 24. somewhere in there it's less than 90 minutes and it's, it's tight. I really appreciate a movie that knows what it's doing and knows when to get out. And I think that the the silly stuff works, the creepy stuff works, the acting is, is great. Not just from uh, Bruce Campbell, although he certainly is the highlight, but everyone is, is doing... They're putting in work. It's, it's great. The set design is fantastic. Yes. It is certainly one of the best sets that I, I have ever seen. And... All of these things are working in conjunction to create a movie that is just fun. A lot of horror is is good, but not necessarily fun. You kind of walk out of it feeling gross or whatever, you know. Especially, you know, I, I, I I was scared at points, but yeah. I don't know if it really the story doesn't really stay with yes, you as much. Exactly, and I think that that this is the opposite, where it is there are some creepy moments, but it's never something that makes you feel like when you're watching like a Saw movie or something where you're just like, you feel grimy at the end. Yeah. There, it's it's so lighthearted at the same time that it's it gives you these little scary moments. And like I said, some of these scares still work. They Even though they're much older and it's practical effects, um, so it, you know they had to work harder and work around things, like we said, when the trees are going into her face, it's, it's very unsettling. Yeah. And the the madness that takes hold of ash again very unsettling and so there's a lot of stuff that is working in conjunction with each other and it, for them to be able to balance that all in a way that works for me that's why this is the best horror movie of all time yeah i think also too that in terms of its lasting impact you know you just need to say the sentence a secluded cabin in the woods and that that doesn't conjure up feelings of relaxation and uh, a nice 
little weekend getaway. No. For most people, they hear that sentence, a cabin in the woods, and the association with that is, I'm gonna die. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that you hit the nail on the head, Craig. This is our longest episode yet, so I want to thank you for taking the time to sit with me this long. But uh, I think that we really did a great job of breaking down why this is the best horror movie of all time. Is there anything that you wanted to plug before you go? Yeah, I mean, you can follow me on Instagram at Krondor, K-R-O-N-D-O-R-E. That's all I really got. Sure. Look for Craig's name on the big screen when uh, yeah. when you're watching movies that are filmed in the Philadelphia area. I'm pretty much on all of them. It's yeah. somewhere. Yeah, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at Gerg Hef, and you can follow along with the show Twitter at Little Horror PHL. Other than that, I think that that's everything. So thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, thanks for sticking around this long. Bye.